Grew up close to here in Fremont and had a wonderful family, um, had a great childhood, nothing really out of the ordinary, played basketball. Uh, it was great. Um, I had no idea the turn that was going to take place in my life when I was in junior high. In junior high, things went downhill very fast for me. Um, I, my, the first sexual assault that I experienced was um, in, during those years, and I was completely ashamed. I was um, horrified um, that that had happened to me and that I had put myself in a situation that was so dangerous. And because of that shame and um, feeling so guilty for my choice to be in that situation, I hid it and I didn't tell anyone about it. And what that did to me was just wrecked me inside. It, it made me look and say, what value do I really have? What, what is my will if all this can be taken so easily from me? And that started a course in my life where I ended up um, getting involved with drugs and um, heavily drinking at first and then the other drugs and to some pretty hard stuff by the time um, I was in high school. And in the midst of that, I was looking for God. My journals at that time, I would journal a lot as a child, but they took a turn around the same time that this took place in my life. And my question started reaching out because I knew that there was a very real battle for my soul. At 12, 13 years old, I knew that, that there was darkness, that there was light, that there was evil that was good, but I could not figure out what was what, but I know that I wanted to go to the light. I know that I wanted goodness, but I couldn't tell. And I started having situations and things and dreams that were actually unfolding in my daily life, and I was looking for answers, and I went for them. I sought in so many places, and I found answers. I found a lot of answers, but they just kept spiraling me down into deeper depression, into darkness, into a place that I really didn't have hope. I used drugs at that point mostly to escape, mostly to calm my sensitivity to things and also just to deal with the pain that I had inside. By the time I was a senior in high school, I was failing out of school, and I really did not care if I died on the street. I didn't see any value left in who I was. But I desperately wanted life, but I saw no way middle of my senior year, I ended up getting pregnant. And I knew by God's grace, I look back and I just know it was by God's grace that I knew the moment I was pregnant. And I made a decision right then that I was going to stop the drugs. And again, by God's grace, I was able to quit everything cold right then. My daughter started growing inside of me, and I thought about her future, and I thought about where I was, and I wanted the best for her. But I knew that I could not offer it. It was tearing me apart. My boyfriend at the time, we agreed to look into adoption, and a wonderful family decided that they were going to adopt her. And it was somebody that I knew that I could see her grow up. I would know how she was, but it was going to be a secret. That hurt so bad, but I was willing to go through that for her life's sake. But in the midst of that, tearing apart of my heart, facing the fact that I was going to give away the one that I ever really loved, I cried out, if there really was a living God, if there really was a God who sees me and cares about my life, I need you to tell me. What am I to do? 
The next day, my, um, the family that was going to adopt her ended up backing out of the adoption. And the weight, instead of being like free of, oh, I'm supposed to keep her, the weight of her life fell on me even harder. And then on the third day, and it sounds funny, but literally on the third day after I cried out, God brought this family that has known me since I was a child, Sally and Dan Knurk, and they asked to meet us, and we went to the park, and God's presence, I didn't know it at the time, but showed up with this peace and this sense of home and belonging and goodness and right, rightness that I knew this was the answer. This was to be her family. And we went through with the adoption, and, and she was raised by them. It was an open adoption, but I still was a wreck. I dove back in the deep depths of depression, and in the midst of that, I continued. I cried out to that God. And he brought into my life people that knew him, brought them close to me. And I had a challenge one day to go to the park, to take a Bible, and to challenge this God who you cried out to. Ask him to show up again. So I did. And at six o'clock in the morning, as I sat with the Bible in my lap, and I said, God, if you're found in this book, this is where you are. I need you to show up greater day than you ever have in anything that I ever experienced spiritually before. And I thought that was a high call because I experienced some pretty crazy stuff. But instead of doing something crazy that I saw, God showed up with the same presence, the same presence that he showed up with when I cried out for my daughter. And I heard that day, my God called to me and say, you trusted me with your daughter's life. Now trust me with yours. And I did. And that is my story. Hey, a lot of you are concerned because I'm not preaching that I'm somehow like uh, bored or have nothing to do. I want you to know I'm fine. Uh, I'm good. I got things to keep me busy. Uh, Hey, I am so excited for today on behalf of the elders to be able to let you know that um, when we were putting this series together, the person that honestly we were excited about sharing uh, their journey, their story was Laura. Uh, when I came and we came together as a church, um, I got to see uh, Laura's heart, not only for family ministry, because believe me, she has a passion that way, but also beyond that into uh, really what is happening church-wide and, and, and how do we become an effective church. Uh, not only all the responsibilities that she has had with all the ministries, then to find out she's taking all these classes through CMA and she is, uh, you know, doing all of this study and all of this work. And then I just felt really lazy around her. I'm like, wow, I'm not doing anything. So uh, I just want you to know that um, you are going to hear God's word from someone who is not only studying it, who also is not only trying to give it to you, but is living it. And I am excited that you get to hear from her story about how you are to be telling your story. Because uh, one thing I know is that Laura has decided to say, this is my story and everybody gets to see it. And in doing so, sees God in the midst of it. So for that reason, I am very excited today that you guys get to hear a message from the Word of God from Laura Haas. Would you guys bring her up? Thank you. I'm not going to say that I'm not nervous because I definitely am. (laughs) But I know, you know, this is good. This is good. I'm so honored to be here to be able to share with you today. And this has been quite a journey just coming here. God has done so much in the time of preparations. And I really do hope that you hear a message from our Lord today. 
Uh, if you want to follow along on the scriptures, if you have your Bible, awesome. So glad. Open it up. I'm going to be reading from the ESV version today. Um, if you have your phone with you and you want to look it up on the U version, you can find them as well in there. Look under events and look for Cedars Church and you will find us there. All right. So I want to share with you, since we're talking about storytelling, I want to open up with sharing a story of God's people. This is a story from a slice in history about 300 years after David's kingdom. So a lot of people know about David's kingdom. There was so much goodness that was going on. The land of milk and honey. They were just living it up. It was a great life. After that time, the kingdom started to fall. They ended up having division between the two kingdoms. They had the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. And the people grew rebellious in their ways. They became stubborn. And they turned their hearts away from God. God sent them prophets and sent them people to say, come back and warning. This is what is in front of you. But they did not heed that warning. They just continued on their way. And out of God's mercy, he ended up coming, intervening in that history. And he sent them into exile. This was a terrible time for them. They were outside of their homeland, and that one of the things that took place in that time was their way of worship and their way of honoring their God was broken down, which is going to be important for us and part of the scripture that we're going to come into. So they went through a time of separation, not just from their homeland, but also a separation from their God. So I'm going to read to you something from Lamentations before we dive into Isaiah 40, because this was written in their time of exile, and it helps you understand the cry of the heart of where these people are at. So Lamentations 9b, she took no thought of her future. It's talking about God's nation, the nation of Israel. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. In verse 16, for these things I weep, my heart flows with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hand, but there is none to comfort her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you, Lord, have a message to intervene when we are in such places as being separated from you. Father, we thank you that we can come to you with the cry of our heart, and it does not fall, Lord, on someone who doesn't care. But you love us, and you hear that cry, God, and you respond. I ask for you, Holy Spirit, to be the teacher today, that you would use me as your mouthpiece, and that you would open up our hearts to hear and understand what you have for us today in your living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, I love archaeology. I just think it's really awesome. So I wanted to show you a picture of an actual piece of the Dead Sea Scroll. This is a part of Isaiah. Hey, I thought it was kind of cool because we're going on the storytelling series of using the typewriters, but they had to use ink. And if they made a mistake, oh my goodness, right? So I just have so much respect for the scribes and the people that did this, and I just thought it was a really beautiful piece. So anyways, there's your little uh, history archaeology lesson. Um, That was actually unearthed in 1947, which is pretty cool. Um, Okay, so we're going to be in Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to jump down to the end. This is what I labeled the dawn of hope. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, 
that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. This, when I was asking God, what part of scripture am I supposed to share in regards to my story? And he brought me to this part, Isaiah 40, and also to the Lamentations in the first chapter. I realized, God, that is what was going on in my heart. So if you were here for my story just a a little while ago, my cry of my heart was reaching out to him in a very personal way. And I want you to know that you may have a cry in your heart too, that you may be in a place of separation But God does hear your cry. And the beautiful thing is, is in his word, he meets his people with the very thing that she, that's what he called the nation, she, that she cried out for, which was comfort. But why is it, why is it that she is having comfort from him? He says here, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. If you remember, I mentioned that their way of worship was done away with. You see, they, their sins, the way that they would deal with their sins was they would come and bring an offering, okay? And they would offer up that animal sacrifice to God. There were many types of offering, but one of the most important was the sin offering. And one time of year, the high priest would take the blood of that offering, and he would go into the Holy of Holies, the holy place, by God's mercy seat, and sprinkle that blood of that offering on behalf of the people in their sins on to the mercy seat in that holy place, one time a year. And what it would do is not wipe away forever those sins, but what it did, it's, it's like it's pushed back the payment of those sins for another year. Push back the payment another year. So the Day of Atonement was a glorious day for them because they knew that their God's grace was with them. But in exile, their way of worship in that way was done away with. We know they still had a verbal worship, a coming together, because we have limitations that was written for us in that time. But they could not offer sacrifices in atonement for their sins. So this word is amazing because they had no way no way on their own at all to take care of their sin. And God says, comfort, let her know, I've done it. It's paid for. Her sins are done. Her iniquity has been pardoned. And we know today that we have a high priest that went in, offered up his own sacrifice, that it is completely done for us today. Amen? That is good news for us. Good news for the church. So in First in First Titus two, three and six, it says, "Our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave Himself as a ransom for all." This part in Isaiah is a turning point for the people. This is their first message of hope and redemption. Everything before was like, hey, it's coming. Hey, okay, you got to stop what you're doing. This is what God says. You need to stop. It was a warning, but now it's the time for hope. This God was declaring that he saw his people. He had not forgotten them. All right, we're going to go to Isaiah Uh, 43 and 4 it says a voice cries in the wilderness a voice cries in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make straight in the desert a highway for our god 
Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. I went a little bit too far there. This is a very practical thing that God is doing. It's also a prophetic thing. When they were in exile, there was a huge wilderness between where they were taken by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and where their homeland was. God said he was going to come, not bring a rugged, narrow, rough way, but a highway for him. A way that would lead straight home. And God was going to do this by his hand. Said, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He is speaking to a people, which maybe it's like us. He's speaking to a people who doubted his word who doubted his ability to come through. They had so much time in their anguish apart from him that they forgot. And if they remembered him, they were doubting, is this God's word true? Is what I know of this God really true? Will he really fulfill it? And God is saying, yes. He is making a highway in the wilderness. Why? Because he said so. That's right? Do you ever grow up hearing that from your parents, right? Because I say so, right? Well, really, because God says so. So it is done. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is John 1:14. This is a verse that I read in the park that day. Jesus Christ is God's glory revealed to us in the flesh. And Isaiah even speaks of Jesus many times. But in John 12, 41, it is in the scriptures there in the New Testament that says, Isaiah saw these things, said these things about the Lord because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Just for those of you that are a little bit confused, Jesus is in the Old Testament, okay? He is revealed in the scriptures of the Old Testament. And he is the way in the desert. He is the way through the wilderness. All right. Verse 6. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. When I got to this, I was like, God, what are, what are you saying here? Like he goes from declaring that he's come and he's making a way in the wilderness. And then all of a sudden there's this like, hey, cry. Okay, what should I, what should I cry? And the answer is about the grass and the frailty of humans. So I did some searching to find out what is going on with these words. And there are two words that I want us to take a look at. One is beauty and the other one is breath. 
So beauty, and I'm not going to say this probably correctly because there's no sound in the English language for it that we use, but it's chesed, okay? So it's the chesed. Maybe some of you could do that better than me. But this, this word chesed is usually described in, all throughout the Psalms about God's steadfast love, his loyalty, his faithfulness in regards to his people. But here it's talking about the people's chesed withers it fades and i look back and god showed me very clearly in my story right i got to the point where i didn't care if i died my my beauty my faithfulness my loyalty anything that i had in that regard of that connection with god because god we can love because god first loved us right my it was withering and dying And the more that I rejected him, because I did, I straight up said, Jesus, he is just a man. People have made him into a religion. There's no power in him. I rejected him. I didn't even want to look at him when I was going through those things. But the beautiful thing is, just like we see in God's word, it says, but the word of our God will stand forever. Regardless of where I was in my disregard of God, in my dying of being separated from him and losing that faithfulness and that love, God stays the same. His love for me remained just like it does for you. If you're in a season where you feel like your chesed is withering, it's fading, God's love for you is not like yours. His is steadfast. It is loyal, faithful. He loves you. That is good news. What a comfort our God is in his truth of his word. The second word here is breath. Because I didn't understand. I was thinking of breath like when Jesus breathed and the Holy Spirit, right, was given to disciples. I'm like, why would that breath like make the wither and the fade. And I started researching the way that that word was used in Isaiah in the previous chapters. It is a breath of judgment. And again, I look back and I go, oh God, (laughs) right? I, as your judgment was coming on me, because yeah, there were things that happened that were wrong, that were evil, that were not my fault, yes. But I still made my own choice, my own will to go down certain paths, to reject God. And in his judgment, which was also a mix of his mercy in my life, that I can see that now. In his judgment, anything that I tried to get my my hesed back or my love back, anything that was outside of God, it all just faded under his judgment. Like a warm, hot breeze in a desert that just like a fire could break out at any moment and destroy. That's his judgment here. But again, the good news is God's love, steadfast, enduring, right? It's not like ours. So even when we're under God's judgment and we know it, we can know that God's love is for us. He is a merciful and loving God. All right. After this, the scriptures say, Go 
on up to a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. This comfort, this understanding that God is not like us, that even in our failing and faltering, that he loves us, and realizing our God is there for us, he's made a way for us to come back to him, it's supposed to initiate the shout of joy inside of us, and not just for us to keep it on our own, but to bring that herald, that good news, out to those around. This was a message that was coming to Judah. It says, Behold, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. This road, this way in the wilderness, God didn't just lay it and then say, walk it by yourself. Here it is, come on. You can do this on your own. It is not that. It is him himself coming. Can you see this picture of the king of kings coming through the wilderness? He gets his people out of the people who have been capturing them and out of the suppression. And he rescues them. And he comes back home with his people rejoicing and glad. His beloved is with him, brought home. This is not a message stuck in history. This is for us today. And you may be thinking of people that you're wondering, God, will they ever be brought home? Your hope is in the Lord. The Lord is the only one that has the power to do that. And his desire is for them. And you get to rejoice when you see his people come home. And you get to rejoice as you allow God in your own life to take you down that path and bring you home. Surely it is him alone who has the power to do this. Nothing else. Not logic not goodness, not deeds. It is him alone. It is him himself who comes to rescue you. It is very personal. Your God, not a distant God, it is your God who comes to rescue you. And his prize is you, his people. That is what he values the most and he gives everything for. As I'm looking at the time, I'm right on time. That's amazing. Sorry, taking a break here. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I won't keep you here for hours. Aren't you happy to know that? That's great. Um, right after this section, I'm going to skip through some scriptures here. It's verse 12 through 26. I'm telling you that, though, because I want you to read that part of scripture on your own. I'm giving you homework. Okay, now you don't like me again, right? So this week, I encourage you, go through the book of Isaiah, but especially look at this beautiful example of lifting up God of who he is and God saying, behold, 
Have you not seen? Have you not heard? Behold your God. If you need encouragement, this is the place that I really want you to dive into this week, okay? So Isaiah 40, 12 through 26, that's your homework. All right. The people, they got to come home in history. We're going back now in history. They got to come back to their homeland. God provided a way through the wilderness, literally, very tangibly, brought them back home. Jerusalem was restored. Their place of worship restored. Those people got to see the glory of the Lord in the flesh. Jesus came. He's the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They got to walk with him, eat with him, see his glory. That history today for us, Jesus is alive. By his Holy Spirit, we experience him today. He is here for us today. And some of you may have doubts. All the stuff that I've done, everything that I've been through, how could God really truly love me? Again, I encourage you to go back to the scriptures and read. The word of the Lord says so. He loves you, and he wants you to be at home, not just a physical home, but he wants you to be at a spiritual home with him. In the book of John later, I think it's, I don't know how this one written down, it's either 14 or 15, but he says that, you know, take his word in. This is total paraphrasing. Take his word in, love him, and God wants to come and make your home with you and for you to make your home with him. This is a forever home that we get to experience, not just on the other side after death, but we get to experience that home with him now. Our story intertwines in Scripture. This is part of God showing us what our story is with him, is us diving in to what he has provided for us and asking the Holy Spirit to show us, where am I in this? And going from here, I want to leave you with some amazing encouragement at the end of Isaiah. And this part of the scripture may be more familiar to you. But again, it opens with that question. The question, what do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from God, or from the Lord, and my right is disregarded from my God. And I hope you guys will leave here today knowing certainly not. God sees you right where you are. He is the God who sees Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. What a contrast to us, right? This is our God. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I encourage you, church, wait on the Lord. Wait on him and know that he desires to bring you to that place with him where you are renewed and strengthened and your love for him grows and thrives, where you are at 
home with your God. Let me pray. Father,